0: And you'll notice if you read the footnote in my book, I corrected based on the weight they reported, guesstimating, they asked the family, you know, how much did he eat? What was it made of? How much sorrel? And somebody did this calculation and it was so many grams of sorrel. But then when they turned it into a calculation about how much oxalate, they exaggerated it. So they, they're they um, thinking that you need massive amounts to cause such severe metabolic problems and a person dies and they could not save him The the dialysis and the respirator and everything else they had to offer him didn't save
1: him. Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of the Meet Medic podcast. Now, today's episode, I am joined by the amazing Sally K. Norton. Sally, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, Sally is an internationally renowned speaker, vitality coach, health consultant, and author of the absolutely amazing, and I have to say, genuinely, one of my absolute must reads for my patients, toxic superfoods. So Sally, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
0: You're very welcome. I'm looking forward to our conversation. It's gonna be fun.
1: Absolutely. I think our viewers and listeners are gonna get so much out of today. Now I know we've got some time pressures. There's a lot to cover today. So we're gonna get into it. Um, What are oxalates, Sally? And why should we or why should people be interested in oxalates?
0: Oxalates are a natural toxin that are in foods that we all eat and we all trust and it's secretly causing a lot of problems and getting away with murder (laughs) and so we need to wake up to this because it's sort of an easy fix but it's a confusing topic so we're trying to clarify what's going on now
1: yeah and your book is absolutely amazing we're going to get into that later um maybe we can start a little bit with perhaps how you came across oxalates and and, and and your journey in that. And that's hopefully going to you know resonate with listeners and spark some further discussion there. But how did you come into this?
0: Yeah, well, so I studied nutrition at a good school here in the US. And you, of course, hear about it in passing when you're if you read your textbooks, because it doesn't get a whole lecture. <laughs> if you read your textbooks and are awake, you'll notice in your textbook, there's a little paragraph this big on one chapter written by one guy and there's a paragraph this big in another chapter written by another guy and they're both talking about how it chelates calcium and it's in things like chocolate and whatever and each each one says different foods and that you shouldn't eat these anti-nutrients like tannins, uh, phytates and oxalates which are in tea with your meals. So separate the tea away from the meals. They mentioned that somewhere um, and this stuff causes kidney stones and of course Patients who get kidney stones are put on a low-oxalate diet in the textbooks. <laughs> Whether that happens in real life or not is a whole other story. Uh, but we believe Let's our... Te- <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then when my neighbors get kidney stones, I mean, before I was really, truly oxalate aware, I'd be like, you know, there's a low-oxalate diet for that. You probably shouldn't be eating spinach and certain nuts. And that's about all I knew. Uh, and... <laughs> So lo and behold, I have really no idea that sweet potatoes, which became a major staple in my diet, that Swiss chard, which I grew up on, and the rhubarb behind the house that I grew up playing and enjoyed, were all problematic foods, especially for young growing children. I had no idea. I ran into problems as a little kid where I needed my tonsils taken out. At age 12, around the same time, I decided I wanted to get into nutrition to be a prevention health professional to help me and everyone else choose to avoid cancer, heart disease, diabetes, you name it. And I didn't really understand oxalates, even though it turns out in retrospect, they have been messing with my health my entire life until I was turning uh, 50. And but three years before that, I had this attack of vulvodynia type pain that is very unpleasant. <laughs> I was immediately over it right away. I'm like, ah. and my husband looks this up online and he found, found the Vulvar Pain Foundation, which teaches a low oxalate diet for pain syndromes that affect the pelvic region. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> that woman doesn't have a degree. What does she know? Like, what is that? But I'm like, I need, I'm interested because I'm in the world of integrative medicine. I know all the alternative diets. I know all the alternative therapies. I know the people who deliver them. I'm very well connected, working in medical schools in the field of integrative medicine. None of us know anything about this. This, is, this feels like it's out of left field and it's close to where I worked and it's a toxicity topic. And I've been very interested in toxicity because I realized in my mid 40s or earlier in my late 30s, mid to late 30s that I had sort of a chemical sensitivity, like uh, some of my symptoms of fatigue and all these other issues were some form of chemical sensitivity. So I've been naturally drawn to non-toxic living. And so I was inherently interested when I bought her materials and I didn't completely get it. But what it did for me was help me know a little bit more about where the oxalates were in my diet, to be more aware that sweet potatoes were a problem, which was not in my textbook anywhere. In fact, potatoes generally are a problem. The white potatoes, the baking potatoes that we use to make potato chips and treat foods and tater tots and these French fries are all the, the baking potato, which is very high oxalate. And Science didn't even realize that until, I'm guessing about 70 years ago. So we really don't pay attention to where oxalate is in the food. And that's the big problem. So for me, I dipped around, because now my, my level of consciousness about where oxalate is in my diet was much better. And so as I was trying to solve my health problems, which now were extreme, could no longer work. I used to have a faculty position writing public health research grants. I had to quit that for this hysterectomy and I never came back from the hysterectomy I was at that point very clearly unable to think, work, work out, do much, read. Uh, So, but that turns out the endocrinologist post hysterectomy, no ovaries, like I'm seeing the endocrinologist, what's wrong with me? And he's like, I don't know. You seem fine. You look good. Your numbers look fine. Sends me the sleep doctor who finds out with all the wires and everything that my brain really isn't sleeping at all. It's waking up 29 times an hour. And the literature tells me, because right away I'm like, okay, well, what do you do about this? Because they put me on three different drugs over time and nothing was helping, that it's an endotoxemia coming from like sort of a SIBO type dysbiosis that you're being poisoned by your bacteria. So I'm like, I've got to fix my constipation and my bloating and all my problems. It's gotta be that I've got SIBO. And so I treat for SIBO, even though the test said I didn't have SIBO and that didn't work. And so I'm trying the last thing I found, which is a New Zealand kiwi diet. If you eat enough rapide crystals, these are oxley crystals. In kiwi, of course, no one knows this. I didn't know what was going on. You can fix your constipation. So I'm taking on kiwi as a way to fix my constipation so I could fix my seeming dysbiosis so I could sleep again, so I could have a life. And in the process of adding in the kiwi, a couple a day, three a day, by, I started in August 2013 and by October I was stiff and old getting very worse and worse and worse in my yoga class and laying in bed going why is this arthritis back and it dawns on me that the kiwi and I was also juicing celery a little bit not like they do now but with lettuce and cucumber a few days a week that this addition back into my diet of the kiwi and the celery, and at the same time, I'm also getting a little cavalier about my beloved sweet potatoes and using them more often that my arthritis, which had been a big problem from age 12 onward, but particularly bad from about age 18 to about 30. Uh, those were my vegetarian years. I was like, you mean all that arthritis with my healthy diet? like oh my goodness and I was really mad about it because not because I didn't know but because I had a sleep problem and I'm trying to fix my gut and I have to fix my sleep problem but now I have to fix my arthritis problems so I'm like too many problems <laughs> all right I'll do this stupid oxalate thing and lo and behold <laughs> within like 10 days I'm reading again, and I can tell I must be sleeping better. I didn't know I wasn't sleeping because I'm so exhausted. I have no different. I don't know no the difference between wake and sleeping. <laughs> just a zombie girl. But now I could just see myself perking up. And then by the following summer, my foot problems, which is a whole connective tissue problem, also went away after 30 years of foot problems. And on and on and on, it's like, wait a minute. all of my health problems, were from healthy eating, the same problem. Like we think of them in medicine as separate problems. Like they have must have a separate ideology or separate, you know, origin and a separate process. And it's got to be all different things. But all these things were melting down because I was poisoning myself on healthy eating.
1: Yeah. And that's that's exactly it. And you know, people go to their doctors and, and we spoke briefly off air about this, but they go to the doctors, I mean, they're probably never going to even get mentioned oxalates anyway. Uh, we'll come back to, to kidney stones, but, um, yeah, I mean, you know, doctors say, well, you've got all these different symptoms. Let's investigate all these different things. And, uh, no, no, of course, no cause really ever found for most of these things because scans can't pick up oxalate blood tests. Don't really pick up oxalates. We'll, we'll come back to testing and things in a moment, but, um, generally they get told, yeah, there's nothing wrong. And, and of course, then none of this makes sense because they're so seemingly not connected that. Nobody's gonna say, well, okay, your gut problems are why you can't sleep properly. Uh, and your arthritis is the same thing as your chest pain or, you know, whatever it is, your skin problems and, and, you know, and so on. Um, and so nobody ever really gets this, this answer that oxalates actually might be underlying a lot of these, these issues. But when you look at the number of issues that oxalates can cause, I mean, it's just, it's, it's incredible. And it's something that we are for the most part doing to ourselves.
0: Completely. Because we are ignorant. No one's telling us that it's there. There's very little interest in it, in dietetics and nutrition and public health. And medicine's not going to pick up a dietary thing like, oh yeah, we care about diet. That isn't happening in today's world. And the people who think they know something about oxalates are generally misinformed about its effect. In medicine, they've convinced themselves that oxalates are fine all over the place unless it hits your kidneys, which is the organ designed to handle oxalate. The organ who knows it has to get rid of oxalate, that's its job. And they're saying the organ that's designed to handle and concentrate oxalate is the only organ that gets harmed by it. (laughs) Your blood cells are fine, your vascular tissue is fine, your liver doesn't care, which by the way, your liver doesn't, your body doesn't metabolize and detox. It's a very tiny end product kind of molecule there is no way you you can disarm it with your enzymes in your liver or anything like that the liver makes more oxalate so it's such a silly world we're in now it's almost farcical
1: yeah absolutely agree i mean kidney stones uh it's a very interesting topic because i mean most doctors that i talk to they don't really have a clue what oxalates are um i got asked in my clinic the other day by one of the doctors um, you know, I see you writing this stuff in the notes, in the patient notes. Like, what, what is, what is oxalates? Like, what, what is this? And I said, oh, well, you know, you know, you know, kidney stones. Yeah, of course. Said, yeah, yeah, of course. I know kidney stones. Well, you know, kidney stones majority, vast majority, are calcium oxalate. Yeah, everyone knows that. Oh, okay. Yeah, oxalate. And then they said, oh, yeah, well, that's just kidney stones. And then just kind of like walked out the room. and <laughs> It's like, but even then, like we, you, you mentioned that, you know, a low oxalate diet is a, is a kind of fairly standard form of therapy, but then you kind of caveated that for, for kidney stones, but then you caveated that with in the textbooks, which I thought was very interesting actually, because we don't really talk about it nowadays with patients. Um, I do, because I do oxalate work, but it's almost never, never spoken about. Um, and yet it's the pr- the predominant form of kidney stone. And it used to be the treatment for kidney stones, but now you know we can get off topic if you like. But now it's all now it's all just okay. Take these drugs, have this surgery. Don't bother looking at your diet. Just just keep going. You know, oxalates on not a thing. You know, who cares? And I think I just think it's actually criminal.
0: It's sad that our thinking is still band aid. Like, okay, problem. We don't care what the cause is. Let's slap something over the top of it and keep going. Uh, it's it's sort of. Hillbilly, you know, like not to be insulting anybody. But just like coat hangers and duct taping, that's kind of the mentality of this. Oh, let's throw a drug at it and not really care about root cause and just what it's saying about what's going on and what the future um potential problems are.
1: Yeah. No, I think I think it I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I did have a letter from a urologist recently, actually. Uh, that was basically a patient had a kidney stone and the letter came back saying to slightly paraphrase, I kind of got it in front of me. Uh, this patient has a, you know, a kidney stone. They should follow a diet that's, uh, they should avoid tea and drink coffee. Instead, they should have citric acid in their fluids. They should stay away from spinach and grains. And I was reading this letter and I thought, man, oh, this is amazing. This is, this is a low oxalate diet. This, this doctor, finally, there's a doctor actually describing a low oxalate diet. <laughs> for a patient with kidney stones but they just they just didn't mention oxalates i don't know if they just didn't know or they were just like reading from okay this is just general guidance or not it was a bit frustrating they didn't just say they should follow a low oxalate diet but at least i guess they are on the right the right track with it
0: yeah and unfortunately a partially right answer is like an engine that has two cylinders working like it's there's potential there but there's a little more work needed
1: yeah absolutely um You mentioned, of course, uh, some foods, and of course, your book, Toxic Superfoods, goes into this in great detail. Um, What kind of foods are the problems with oxalates? What are the biggest offenders?
0: Well, in the vegetable department, there are certain produce items, and there's three leafy greens that are popular now, the spinach, the chard, and the beet greens that are a big problems. Sorrel is also a problem. And of course, uh, rhubarb, the stalk is a big problem. The rhubarb leaf is known to cause death within two days of consumption. If you were to use that as like a side dish thing, yeah. <laughs> you would literally die and that's it. It's like, okay, doctors are told it's all the greens. It's not all the greens. It's just three or four of them. So that's not a big deal. And some of the wild ones that most people don't wild forage their greens. Grocery store greens, all the lettuces are fine. So that's a big problem because the urologists, I think have been taught to fear the low-oxy diet because they think it means no vegetables. But there are a lot of things in the produce department that are a problem. The beet root as well as the tops. The root is not nearly as bad as the top. The sweet potato, the white potato, um, what else in the produce department? There's several. (laughs) Then there's the fruits, which are the blackberries, the kiwis, Hopefully, nobody's eating starfruit because that's another one that's known to kill people. Even a small amount of starfruit juice taken at the wrong time by the wrong person literally kills people from oxalate poisoning. Yep.
1: Uh, and they sell it.
0: And, go and ahead. The they sell it. I know. Yeah. I, start I was in the
1: supermarket food. the other day and I saw it on the show and I knew, of course, I was interviewing you today and I saw it and I was like, oh my God, they're actually selling this in the supermarket.
0: With no warning labels.
1: Yeah. And it's, but yeah, potentially fatal. It's it's scary.
0: Unfortunately, people think we're scaremongering by talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, no, you have guardrails, you have safety belts, you have airbags, there's all this safety orientation and we don't want safety conversation about toxins in our food.
1: Yeah, mm. it's, it's absolutely crazy. And if people are in any doubt, I mean, I'll, I'll put the link in the episode description. I know you talk about it in your book um, death by sorrel soup, 1989. Um, I'll put the link in, in the dis- episode description. Um, and this chap, you know, died from consumption of, of sorrel, uh, 500 grams of sorrel. I think it was, uh, six grams of oxalates, you know, dead within what a few hours. I think it was.
0: And it's not even that much. The case report over guesstimated how much oxalate was in that soup. And you'll notice if you read the footnote in my book, I corrected based on the weight they reported guesstimating they asked the family you know how much did he eat what was it made of how much sorrel and somebody did this calculation and it was so many grams of sorrel but then when they turned it into a calculation about how much oxalate they exaggerated it so they they're right. thinking that you need massive amounts to cause such severe metabolic problems that a person dies and they could not save him The the dialysis and the respirator and everything else they had to offer him didn't save him
1: yeah i think um You know, even as low as as potentially three grams, uh, 3,000 milligrams could be fatal uh, for people. And uh, I mean, people generally are eating on average, what, one to 2,000 milligrams, one to two grams a day. Well, we can't say on
0: average because everybody's diet is different. But if you get into the healthy eating and you're doing things like the nuts that I didn't mention before when we're talking about what foods, the almonds, the almond butter, the cashews, the peanuts, people are stacking spinach, almond milk, almond butter, turmeric is another one, chia seeds, and you name it, they're stacking all these foods in one lovely smoothie. And you can make a smoothie, now a simple smoothie that's just some spinach and some fruit starts at like 700 milligrams. The average smoothie is more like a thousand. And then the mega smoothie that's got all the great stuff can literally get you close to twice that depending on the amount of spinach and almonds and so on that are in there. So that, you do that every day, a gram, let's say a thousand milligram smoothie every day for several months. You are creating some serious problems for your metabolism and your body may not complain initially. And in fact, initially, the toxicity may may drum up some defenses that make you feel kind of perky, <laughs> it's kind of OK. And that's the problem with this sort of toxify response to toxins initially is a strong like i'm fighting back i'm going to handle this and the body is doing its best underneath there and you feel kind of okay for a while and then things start breaking and you can't imagine that it was the thing that made you feel good that's now destroying your life
1: yeah and yeah because that thought's never going to enter your head and you go on to all these websites and everything and of course they're just going to say you know keep doing everything you're doing everything right you go to all these doctors, nurses, dieticians, nutritionists. You know, pretty much they're all telling you, "Yeah, look, you know, spinach is great. It's amazing. Nuts, seeds. You, you, you're going plant-based. Like you're doing everything you should. This is the best diet you can possibly have. You know, we don't know why you've got these problems. Just, just keep doing it, and people just keep getting worse and worse. And the idea that it could be that quote-unquote healthy food that's causing this problem, it just it, it never enters their head." No you're doing everything
0: question. right, and you're it's not working, and so therefore you need to do more of what's not working. more fiber exactly. less fat. Exactly. <laughs> take away the dairy, which just makes it worse because calcium is your friend, and you take out the dairy and you've just opened up the floodgates.
1: That's. That it Well, maybe that's <laughs> yeah, so maybe that's the good segue then into um how do if people are suspecting they have oxalate issues. How do they start to, you know, kind of detoxify themselves? How do they start to get rid of this?
0: Right. Because the one of the essential, there's two phases of problems. There's this acute phase right after you eat it. There's this period of time, about 10 hours, where the oxalate's moving from your food into your blood and throughout your organs. There's a, acute toxicity there where your poor immune cells are like, oh, and they're getting all inflamed and broken and there's lots of an acute stress that you might notice about four hours after you eat because there's a peak around four hours after consumption on average based on a few like chocolate challenge tests and things like that and the peak will differ but essentially in the upper the stomach and the upper small intestines you start absorbing this and it starts causing acute problems and while it's high in your bloodstream it is collecting in your thyroid gland, your bones, your bone marrow, your eyes, your connective tissues. And then as the kidneys try to remove it from the bloodstream, it's collecting in the kidneys. And the kidneys are sometimes having to hold on to it because if there's too much oxalate, it starts crystallizing out into these little micro stones or really nano stones to begin with. And so the kidneys start imbibing the oxalate and building up a nephrocalcinosis story where the kidneys start to become this load of, in the meantime, you don't have any symptoms because you're peeing them out freely. You're, you might see cloudy urine. You don't necessarily know if that matters or even notice to look, think to look. And so you've got that acute phase. But the bigger problem is what's left behind after every single meal are deposits of oxalate in your tissues, which is terrible. You don't want little crystals attaching to your thyroid gland and hanging out in your bone marrow. And the more you've done this, the more you have in your tissue. So when you stop filling your bloodstream with oxalates meal after meal after meal, and it goes away from the acute phase. Now the body's like, oh, doorways are opening, the kidneys are ready, the bloodstream is open, like there's room now there was everything was just crowded like a hoarder's closet. You couldn't move anything because you couldn't move. And now there's a little bit of silence in the bloodstream and the body's realizing what's going on. So it starts releasing oxalate from tissue. So there's this deaccumulation of this buildup that can take a very long time. And sometimes if lots of tissues light up, which means sending immune cells in there to try to undo these crystals, turning on this metabolism of removal, which is different. Each cell has has different metabolism based on what's needed and you express certain parts of the genetic code and start changing your outfits as a cell with membrane proteins, you're in a sequestration mode, hold it mode while you're overeating the oxalates. When you stop eating it, the cells take about three days and they re-outfit themselves and they start trying to get rid of it. And if this is going on all over the place, it's letting up a lot of inflammation because the hazmat workers who are coming in to get rid of this stuff are immune cells. And this is, a place where you get more symptoms on the way out because it's a lot of work. Now you, you're basically working with a super fun site, your body, your thyroid gland, your eyeballs, your bones, your kidneys. And I think that some of that cleanup is going to start right away in the kidneys and the urinary tract because that's the important exit. So the body, if it if it has its druthers, which I think often it does, it starts working on the urinary tract recovery. And there's no outward signs that you're deaccumulating. But at some point, if everything's lighting up, you can over toxify and put so much oxalic acid back into your bloodstream. You're really sick. You're, you're really poisoning yourself from these old oxalates. Like your past spinach smoothies are coming back to haunt you in a big way. That can cause arrhythmias and all kinds of problems because your, your calcium levels in your blood are being affected by calcium chelating acid. It becomes calcium oxalate. Now the pacemaker's confused. And there's electrolyte problems happening in the nervous system, happening in muscles. So nerves and muscles require control over calcium and potassium and all these other electrolytes. And when oxalate's around, it's messing that up and over time you're deficient in potassium and calcium and all these things in the cellular environment and the extracellular environment. So the cells have a harder time of recovering from oxalate moving around because there just isn't extra supply of these electrolytes. So you get nerves that are, that was my brain. That's why my brain couldn't sleep because it was so toxic and so deficient in these minerals that I needed that it couldn't settle down. The nerves just get stuck in the on position. Nerves that are stuck on are causing not just wakefulness, they're causing mood problems, anxiety in different people. You know, it expresses very different in different people, but it's also turning on muscle spasms. So hiccups, that was one of my symptoms after eating the sweet potato dinner at bedtime, I would get massive hiccups and belching, which I thought was related to the SIBO. And I Mm. thought it was a digestive problem. What it was, was a neurotoxicity problem from my diet. So Mm. you don't want this over-release of oxalate into the bloodstream. You don't necessarily want to encourage the body to unload everything at one time because dose makes the poison. So the slower you can deaccumulate from the tissues, the safer it is.
1: So the way, the way to kind of, if you, if you're suspecting and we'll get onto why we suspect we might have oxalate issues anyway, but uh, if you're suspecting you have oxalate issues, then really the main way is just to stop eating the oxalates.
0: So I would recommend that if you're eating a high oxide diet that's full of, say, whole grains with all the bran and quinoa, another one we didn't talk about, or buckwheat or almonds or spinach, whatever the ones, and there's plenty of information on my website and in the book. You notice those top foods. Maybe it's five of them in particular that you're using on a routine basis. Pick one of them. Start with the almonds and the almond butter. Take them out of your diet. Find some other way to do your thing. And do that for a little while, then take the next one, go with the spinach next or Swiss chard. Anyone can live without Swiss chard. That's an easy one. <laughs> I only know I was eating something I thought was so good. Ah, Easy, easy, easy. And But do that in a kind of gradual way so that it isn't such an abrupt signal to the body because the body is constantly tasting and reading its environment. That's why you have eyes and a nose and a, a tongue. It's telling you information. The reason you have taste it's very important. The body is reading its environment. So by switching from a very high oxalate exposure to a very low abruptly, in some cases, the body takes that as like, whoa, this is a huge change. And it's very exciting. If you kind of sneak out of this situation a little slower, it's less likely to wake up an over-enthusiastic wish to unload itself.
1: Yeah. So you're kind of referring to what what people refer to as, as oxalate dumping syndrome. I think there, aren't you?:
0: Yeah, so it's a, it's a clearing illness that can occur if it's too much at one time. and when it gets really extreme, that's considered dumping level, where you can be deaccumulating and clearing out your tissues and healing and recovery at a more subtle level that, that initiates very few symptoms or just really vague symptoms. The, the, the great thing about the excessive clearing that's, you know referred to as dumping is that it gets your attention. You know you're sick. But usually what happens with that brain that's now toxic is it's catastrophizing and it's running away from a simple idea diet didn't do this to me something more horrid is happening and usually you're in this amnesia about oh yeah you poisoned yourself with oxalate for years and it's causing these waves of difficult symptoms you just never attribute oxalate when things go to heck <laughs> it's like
1: mm-hmm. oh. <laughs> and if if if, if people do go through that kind of dumping syndrome, because a lot of people people do, because uh, once they realize, I mean, what I find with patients is even if I tell them, you know, a lot of times, you know, go slow, you've been probably eating, you know, a lot of oxalates for many, many years, go slow, do exactly like you said, you know, two, two or three kind of stages over maybe three to six months even sometimes. They often just kind of learn about the toxicity and then they're just like, no, I just want them gone <laughs> straight away. And then they go into this dumping syndrome. How is it is it best to kind of protect yourself from that or, or extract yourself from that dumping syndrome then if that, if that is starting to happen?
0: Yes, well, recognizing it is a good thing and knowing what's going on under the hood with this movement of a lot of oxalic acid running around, you're getting electrolyte loss, right? So you have electrolytes off, so you have to keep replacing them. And this is something you may need to do for the next 20 years because you're gonna continually drain your system of calcium and potassium and so on. So using c- potassium, sodium, calcium, magnesium, and trace minerals throughout this is important. And particularly when you're in a trauma, you know, kind of level of symptoms, you need some electrolytes. So think potassium, think coconut water. You're also getting acidic because the inflammation involved with this clearing creates a lot of acidity and the release of oxalic acid in your bloodstream is an acidic type event. So you need to tamp down that acidity. So we use things like alcohol seltzer gold, lemon juice, because citric acid is a conjugate base that absorbs acidity and is really important to protect the kidneys, very important to help you protect your bones and your teeth and regrow them. Uh, So we address the acidity you can use bicarbonates like sodium or potassium bicarbonate you can use the citrate supplements like potassium citrate magnesium citrate calcium citrate is the number one therapy for both the acidity and the electrolyte problems and really helps the body remove oxalate safely so those are two things to to think about and then there's just the general inflammation So getting into sauna, for example, helps tell the system, oh, let's, let's remember we can deescalate here. And there's other things we can do to help the body go into lower inflammation. But the key thing is to try to tell the body, oh, no, not so much clearing. So, 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 so calm, too much excitement. The hazmat workers need to go to lunch. So you tell them, hey, 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 no, 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 because I'm eating oxalates. Listen up. And you eat enough oxalate in one meal, say dinner, with a double-strength tea, some beet juice, some sweet potatoes, some chocolate maybe, something. Um, And that will, the tasting, remember I say the body is sensing, sensing, sensing. So it's tasting, it's knowing, especially if it gets absorbed into your bloodstream, the liver. Somebody in there is listening and going, oh, oh, here comes those oxalates again. Darn. And that things calm down. And some people, if you get enough oxalate when you're doing this dosing process, usually within an hour, or two hours, you're like, oh, Christ, this is over. I feel better. If not, you may not be doing enough. And for some people, they are, they have let this go on so long. They're so toxic. They need massive massive of oxalate initially to get a handle on this. So they're back to like 100, 150 at dinner milligrams, which feels scary because I, you know, I talk about trigger doses and all that, which is makes people who are really into it get a little nervous about that. But don't worry about numbers. What you want to do is listen for the body's response. And if you're not getting this thing to calm down, if you're sure that it's the oxalate clearing going on, which there's a very good chance it's exactly what's going on, you need to just work with your body and find out what's working for you in that moment. But oftentimes the side effect of this acidity just makes you feel so overwhelmed that you're not a good problem solver. You're not very clever being the nurse for this patient that's really struggling. Running for some lemons and juicing them is usually a great idea.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I put lemon juice in in my water every day uh, since I read your book and read that. So um, yeah, thank you for that.
0: <laughs> the dose to protect you from kidney stones is a half a cup. And if you're just going acid, 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 because there's all this inflammation, you may need to juice a whole lemon every hour until, until, until you suddenly don't feel so overwhelmed or suddenly you start to feel a little bit more like yourself that's probably when you've hit that titration point where the acidity is starting to get addressed adequately yeah.
1: is there a is there a risk you mentioned calcium there and this is one of the questions that um what, you know some sort of my audience kind of wanted me to to ask you um is there a danger with calcium then that that can in, in a way trigger the body to kind of dump these oxalates because it's giving the signal that, okay, we're okay to actually get rid of them now because it can it can buffer them. So simultaneously it can help, but also perhaps trigger dumping as well.
0: Absolutely. So here we're in graduate school oxalates because you add in what you need, the, even the B vitamins or the nutrients you need, you get, especially the calcium, it's like, the body's like, oh, cool. Now we got some tools here now we can do this work we've been wanting to do because i think the lack of calcium and low levels of nutrients generally retards those hazmat workers they just don't have the equipment they need to do their jobs so they're like hanging around the job site dying to work and then you suddenly hand them a jackhammer and they can start getting here and they're like yeah so yeah for some people you have to start adding calcium in very small quantities, usually at bedtime because calcium helps the nervous system calm down because that's what it needs. It needs calcium to not be stuck on. And so there, there's a playing process like feeling out your situation, your body, because everyone's really unique in this. And that's quite clear and underscored in the medical literature as well. The way oxalate is is showing up in the body presenting clinically is incredibly different. And so the way your clearing process works is also fairly unique, complex, interesting thing that we know so little about. So you can build up to calcium. Some people just automatically feel better on it. Other people, it's promoting this dumping. So usually what I tell people is the calcium matters so much. It's worth upping the oxalate in your diet as a way of calming the dumping and still having your calcium too. You, You may need to just go back to I cut back my oxalate too much. And if I have the calcium that I need to heal, I need to just up the oxalate, but not at the same time because the calcium and the oxalate tend to bind. And so you won't get near the effect from the oxalates. If you're eating it with the calcium, you'll get some, but it tends the calcium combined with the oxalate foods might reduce how much you absorb by a third of the oxalates.
1: Yeah. Yeah, So hopefully
0: that's not too advanced and confusing. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, no, I, I don't I don't think it is. Um, and I, I mean, that's kind of my experience when I started drinking um quite a bit of milk, I noticed that, yeah, it's kind of it's very odd. It's hard to describe, but it, it felt like it simultaneously helped my dumping, but then also kind of triggered dumping at the same time. It almost kind of came in came in waves, um which was just very interesting. and and people some people do, yeah, kind of have this question, well, should we be eating calcium or consuming more calcium to to buffer that? but then also, it, potentially increases the risk of then triggering the body to say, okay, it's okay to actually go through this dumping because you can deal with it because you've got the calcium, you know, to bind it up. Um, so I'm I, conscious of the point, Jack, I just want to
0: yeah. underscore for the listeners that being poisoned is tricky. It's not that straightforward. It's not like, Oh, I can, you know, it's not as simple as we want it to be. And it has a long tail and it probably leaves effects. So this, conundrum about calcium is a great example of that. The thing you need the most is might make you feel bad, but you know what, this this clearing process is exactly what you want, as long as it's not going on too much, to all the time. We don't want it to be continuous. You wanna go in and out of these periods where you get these symptoms where you're clearing oxalate and celebrate that that's, a, that's pretty good, that's your body healing, that's a sign of vitality. But if you're stuck, in a toxic scenario, that turns on the level of immune engagement that just promotes autoimmune diseases. So you can create autoimmune diseases and even cancer and so on, if you over let this go on unchecked. So it is important to check it, but it's also okay to have some of it going on. You just have to find a level you can live with. If you can live with it and it's not wrecking your life as you're clearing, then it's something to celebrate. But that's the good thing about it It gets too much. It reminds you that you need to do something different.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. And maybe that's a good segue then into, uh, we haven't really spoke about it yet. Why, what kind of symptoms, what issues really do oxalate cause? I mean, you mentioned a couple of issues with yourself there, the vulvodynia, um, hiccups, the issues with sleeping and so on, but you know, there's going to be people out there listening to this and saying, okay, well, yeah, that's great. Oxalates, they're really bad, but I don't have issues with them. Or how do I know if I have issues with them? What, what kind of things have you seen oxalates causing for people?
0: Well, often in the beginning, it's asymptomatic, or of course, we don't know these symptoms, so we would never connect it. And the symptoms you don't realize uh, can blow up into many things. Uh, We could start at the minute minute level, how it's affecting cells, or just look back at the major systems of the body that are going to be impacted. Major systems of the body that are going to be impacted are your nerve cells. That's your brain, which is anything mood-related, motivation, learning problems, memory problems, uh, even emotional anxieties. Um, you know, so fear of things, parent, you know, those kinds of things could be this nervous system that's toxic. And of course, those toxic nerves can create fibromyalgia and other kinds of muscle problems. There's the connective tissue. Oxalate is very toxic to connective tissue. The acidity that it creates breaks collagen. So there's difficulty with um, maintenance of connective tissues And there. The crystals and the oxalate t- are tending to collect in connective tissues like your joints, your joint spaces, the cartilage, tendons and so on. It's, it tends to cause frozen shoulder. Neck pain is really common. Tennis elbow, bursitis, golfer's elbow. Foot problems are really common. I had terrible time with my feet for 30 years. I had to leave Cornell for foot surgery. I spent a lot of time using crutches, painkillers, wheelchairs. I never could run, jump, play, or wear bare feet until I got loxone. So then there's the um, so there's the connective tissue. There's the neurological um, tissues and pain and other neurological symptoms. There is the urinary tract any weirdness with the urinary tract in the pelvic area. So if you've got cloudy urine, if you have nighttime urination, where you really should be able to hold your urine all night long, any waking up overnight to pee is a sign that bladder is struggling a bit. And if you're doing that a lot, you could end up with bladder pain syndromes, which can be very disruptive and, and ruin both your sleep and your night, your daytime life, because you're always looking for a bathroom. Uh, obviously, kidney stones are a problem. Uh, Then you've got the the sort of rheumatic stuff that infects back to the connective tissues. Your joints tend to be prone to inflammation and gout and aches and weakness. You can get weakness of the muscles. You can look strong and try to be strong and healthy, but you tend to not, and it can get really terrible where people literally lose the ability to use the stairs and, jumping back to the nervous system, your, your vision. If you, if you need glasses early, if you're getting cataracts, you're having trouble with night vision, you're having auras or like flashes or floaters or these kinds of things. These can all be the oxalates causing problems with the eye tissues, which is very common. Glandular problems like hypo or hyper thyroid numbers and function very common, probably almost universal, that we have oxalate crystals, not only in our thyroid gland, but probably other glands as well, which is going to affect your pancreas and your adrenal glands. I've had clients come to me and say they were diabetic until they went low oxalate.
1: Mm.
0: (laughs) Your bone marrow collects oxalate, so that affects your bloods. So if you have low blood counts or strange blood disorders that can be oxalate related. I had low white count forever for 20 years. No one knew why until went low oxalate. Now it's fine. (laughs) Uh, So They're major systems, but down under the hood, what's happening is that the oxalates have this electromagnetic charge that messes up the membrane structure of cells. So the membrane structure really matters a lot because membrane is where metabolisms occur. It's these proteins and their environment of what fatty acids are near them that run your life. Like life requires a membrane. Without membranes, there isn't any life. That's all happening on cellular membranes, on the outer cell, but also inside the cell, you have organelles built of membrane structures, especially the mitochondria, which is a double membrane structure. So it messes up your mitochondria, which is your energy and all kinds of stuff happening thanks to mitochondria. You've also it's oxalic acid that sits on enzymes in that metabolism. So you have this metabolism where you take sugar down to um, you're making these other intermediate molecules in glycolysis. Well, the last step of glycolysis enzyme blockage happens with oxalate. It sits on the active site in that enzyme, and now you can't make ATP. So your cell's job is to make enough energy so it can do all its jobs. It's got this whole you know, furnace room that should function, but the furnace room breaks. Now the cells are low energy. They have trouble managing their electrolyte balance because they have to use these ATP pumps to move sodium ions and do work. They have to have energy to build proteins, to outfit themselves, to to do their work, to build the things they're supposed to make and do. And they're having trouble with even this rate of replication as they get old, they need to replicate and die off. And they're doing it more and more slowly. So now you get things that don't heal. Well, you're, and that's part of why the connective tissue starts being a problem. Things are going, Oh, and then what, what do you have to do? You have to build this collagen material the fibroblasts start filling in where the dying cells aren't replicating enough. And so you got to have the stuff glue everything together so that the structures of your organs and tissues don't fall apart. So you start getting these fibrotic responses directly to crystals. The fibrosis can help bury crystals. The immune system in the meantime is also burying crystals so that they're not engaging with your cell membranes and keeping them damaged. So it's a lot a lot, a lot of ways that it's causing interference with fundamental metabolism.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, most of those things I've seen with patients, you know, trialing them on low oxalate diets, it's, it's, it's incredible what can resolve. I mean, uh, just, you know, very quickly, my own personal story with oxalates, um, my thumb arthritis, you know, base of my thumbs here, both sides, uh, two days on a zero oxalate diet, just disappeared the thumb i pain I'd had for 20 odd years it, to the point where I could, if it was too cold, I, I couldn't, I couldn't hold a pen. Um, some days my joints, like I couldn't type. And I just always assumed it's maybe like rheumatoid arthritis and, uh, you know, typical doctor, you know, don't, don't just do what I say, not what I do. I didn't bother getting x-rays or anything. It's like, ah, you know, well, I can't do anything much about it. I don't want to go on to methotrexate or anything like that. And just thinking, well, my mum, she's, she's got this. And so I've just inherited this um and then two days on a, on a zero oxalate diet and it, and it went away um it was a carnivore diet but i think actually in retrospect the issue was really the oxalates not anything else um my chest pain went away um i have this personally i have this condition called precordial catch syndrome i don't know if you're aware of what that is a lot of people don't know what that is uh essentially it's it's just you know you get cardiac pain um but it's not coming from your heart it's coming from the nerves and uh that that was there for 20 30 years i mean basically just constant literally morning till night waking for me cardiac pain the textbooks talk well, it's not in textbooks but literature talks about maybe you know fleeting here and there you know seconds maybe minutes mine was pretty much just a permanent thing for 20 odd years uh imagine just feeling like you're just basically having a heart attack for 20 <laughs> 20 years and uh, and that went away almost straight away as well my heartburn went away straight away my knee pain went away straight away my back pain went away i mean this is just me my own personal story um i've had patients with um yeah i mean you mentioned bone marrow you mentioned white cells patient very recently with um you know essential thrombocythemia which is essentially a blood blood cancer causing this just very high platelet count which we know can be an issue um, on all these, you know, methotrexate, chemotherapy drugs and so on, just basically wrecking wrecking their body. And uh four weeks not eating spinach. Uh, that was the takeaway. You know, we discussed l'oxolettes and she went away, stopped eating spinach and potatoes, and then the platelets are now normal for the first time in 15 years, I think. It's just look, maybe that's coincidence. Maybe, maybe it's not. I know you're thinking that's not coincidence um patients with uh, people with hypothyroidism um cured you know i remember telling people 10 years ago like you know patients this this is an incurable condition you just you take these medications and that's it for life and it just slowly gets worse uh and yet people are, are curing themselves of these supposedly incurable conditions i mean numerous skin conditions i remember a a patient who came in uh that she came in with a with a child and she got a you know free consult basically but she basically came in with just hands, just you know, bleeding bandages, and I said at the end of this consultation, like, what is what is going on with your hands? Like, they shouldn't be bleeding. Why are you in bandages? And she she took these bandages off, and it was almost just like you know, third degree burns. It was just terrible, terrible eczema, and it was a weekend consultation, and you know, I was running a bit behind anyway. So I said, look, I normally I'd stop and chat. I don't really have that much time, but why don't you just go and read this book? your book <laughs> go and re- go and learn about oxalates S- see what you think okay that was like 30 second consultation and uh and and she did and then she came back with the child again about uh six weeks i think six weeks later um and uh her bandages are gone and i just said like what's happened what's happened to your bandages what's happened to your eczema it's gone just gone Like 20 years, basically, of this terrible eczema gone. Six months later, saw her again recently, uh, still gone. (laughs) Uh, Headaches had gone away that she had. The acne had gone away that she had as well. Um, The baby's rash and everything that just no one could explain had also gone away. The baby was being breastfed, uh, which is very, very interesting. So potentially being passed through the breast milk as well then, which is very interesting. Um, People with, yeah, like age-related conditions like like vertigo tinnitus you know these kinds of things just actually disappearing on a low oxalate diet it's it's absolutely incredible it really is i'm sure this is probably your experience as well
0: no question about it and people who are circling around the edge of this and not ready to jump in and not really ready to to really open their minds to learning the right information which is difficult because there's a lot of questionable ideas out there coming from seemingly very credible sources. They wonder, well, how do you know it's the oxalates? (laughs) We're pretty clear (laughs) when when you do it, it's if you're open to the idea of it, not everybody's, you know, even if they go full zero oxalate by adopting a meat only diet, not everybody who's doing that is ready to credit the oxalates for what's going on. And that's because they don't know how this works.
1: Yeah. I've, I've definitely seen that in, you know, I mentioned I do a carnivore diet. This shows a lot about, you know, kind of carnivore diet and so on. Um, and yeah, a lot of people are crediting the carnivore diet with their amazing success stories. And, you know, to be fair, yes, it's part of it. But I think a lot of that actually does come from the oxalates uh, and removing those oxalates, all these more imm- autoimmune conditions just resolving. Um, I genuinely think that is actually mostly uh, the oxalates. And the
0: science is there to make you right. That was, you know, in observation, which is science is meant to be observing natural phenomenon and men making sense out of it. So we observe person A, me, sleep disorder goes away, lifetime of arthritis clears up, feet are better, like all these things. And so, and then I start teaching it and I'm thinking, oh, there's a couple of Sally's out there who need this information and I know they can't find it anywhere. So I'll just put it out there because somebody ought to say something and it's, then I go to the medical library and like, why, why? how could this be? What, what about this accumulation business? There's nothing in the literature about it. like, it took a lot of digging to find us. But when you start digging, you realize it's all there. It's all explained. It's it's all pre- preliminary studies. Some of them are animal studies. No one said, Hey, yeah, yeah, that's a really big deal. We ought to put some money there. It's never been popular to pursue the many Many, many, many from the 1820s up until today, there's been Oxlate articles coming out consistently and what they're telling us, if you know how to like read through the chat, because <laughs> what happens is this game of telephone. So there's this demonstration game that kids often get taught in some group event where somebody starts a conversation whispers it in the ear of a person and says this thing. And then they have to repeat it to the next person. And by the time you have down like six people later, it doesn't take 15 or 20, but usually within six people, the whole structure and meaning of that sentence or is completely changed. But what we're doing is this game of telephone where we repeated what someone told us and we didn't check with the original source. With well, the original source might've been 75% right, but it's less and less right, the more it just gets repeated. And then we pick up an idea and never go back to the primary source. And that's what's happened in medicine. They'll they'll put the silliest, dumbest, wrong things in an article that was done by skilled people. And nobody cares to say, you ought to get your facts straight. So right out of the literature, there's a lot of nonsense.
1: Yeah, that is very, very true. People just cite articles, and then they get cited, and they get cited. And very few people are really actually fact checking the original source because it's just we talk about evidence-based medicine but i mean a lot of it nowadays is just eminence-based medicine you know instead it's yeah. just you know clever people with with lots of degrees saying something and then and that's you know then that just becomes gospel that's slightly off topic but um uh yeah i mean we've known about oxalates for a very long time and of course, you know your your book goes into a lot of things um i was very interested to read about the oxalic sin- uh, acid syndrome page 85 in your book uh from england of course being english and Historically, drinking huge amounts of tea—that's uh, probably why I had my thumb issues um, from all the oxalates there. Uh, I'm conscious of of time, Sally, because you did have a time limit on this. We've already been about fifty minutes now. Um, how can people how can people find you? Um, how can people learn from you uh, if they're wanting to have consultations with you and you know and all of that?
0: Well, I have a website which is SallyKNorton.com. There's lots of free information there. There's a little shop hidden in there where you can get a beginner's guide basically for free. You can sign up for my newsletter. There's a cookbook there. We're coming out with a data companion that will give you even more data about the oxalate in food because the big problem is no one said, hey, there's this natural chemical in a bunch of foods and nobody knows where they are. So we're putting out the best data we can. You can also find me with my uh, YouTube channel, where we're sharing stories like the ones you were sharing of people getting just some remarkably better with years of decay in their health, severe problems going away, or at least now they know what was going on. There's also, uh, I'm on Instagram as well. So those are the best places. I'm a little bit on Facebook, but definitely start with my website.
1: Yeah, and I'll make sure I put all those links in the episode descriptions on YouTube and the podcast. And of course, your book, uh, Toxic Superfoods, I have my copy here, trying to orientate it to the camera. I'm not very good at doing this. Um, absolutely incredible book. As I said, off air, I mean, I recommend this to to pretty much every single one of my patients. You, you've sold out many times locally. The local library started ordering it in now to get more <laughs> copies because people keep going <laughs> to borrow it as well. Uh, absolutely incredible book. I mean, I have learned so much from you in this book. It is a definite must read. Uh, and so I'll definitely put the links in the episode description there as well. Um, did you have anything else final that you wanted to to add for our listeners and viewers today, Sally? I, mean, I think they've got a lot of benefit already, but was there anything final that you wanted to add today? Well, you know,
0: this may be cross-cultural like you're getting there's a lot of people saying the opposite of what I'm saying and there's not that many people conveying the information I am so it's understandable to be a little bit confused but hang out with us some more and and please do share this with others like you are doing with your patients it is so rewarding to offer someone a glimmer of hope that actually works and it's almost free almost free
1: yeah Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Sally, for coming on the show.
0: It's my I great pleasure. Really I'm so glad we're working together. Thank you so much. Say hello to all your patients. I'm so proud of them for listening to you. That's very noble of them. <laughs>
1: thank you. Yeah, that's exactly what I say to them. I'm, I'm very grateful that they just have that open mind to just read, learn, and, uh, and then, imp- and then get better basically. So, uh, Okay. Well, thank you very much, Sally. And, uh, thank you very much guys for tuning into this episode of the Meek Medic podcast. We'll see you guys in the next episode.